Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and football finance expert and professor of love at the University of Life, Kieran Maguire. Kieran, hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Kevin. I went to my granddaughter's first birthday party yesterday, so oh. it was it was a very giddy experience. I bet. And did she like the spreadsheet you bought her? Uh, very, very impressed. Very yeah. impressed. She looked at it for... All of a millisecond, I suspect. Yeah, baby's first spreadsheet, the price of rusks and milk, etc. Um, <laughs> uh, that's lovely. Do send her uh, our... What's she called? She's called Violet. Ah, oh, we'll send Violet uh, our love and the love of all our listeners. Uh, I would, I'd, I'd be a great granddad, but my boy's at that stage of, oh, I'm not bringing a kid into this terrible world, Dad. Yeah. Didn't ask me. I, mean, just, I just want something to play with, basically. Uh, the, the cat's got the hump because he's just had the flea treatment. Now, Kieran, we are recording this uh, on the last day of the season, uh, and we both want to get it out of the way so we can sit down and see what unfolds. But, of course, our season never ends. Uh, we, we, we will be here throughout while the Champions League goes on and until our Premier League comes back because football finance never sleeps, Kieran, does it? Unfortunately not. Uh, if you think that when we started this show, we thought it would last for three weeks, <laughs> at 20 minutes a week, um, and then we'd run out of material. Yes. Yes, but thankfully there are enough shithouses in the world, so we don't have to run out of material, basically. <laughs> um, I think it's the first time I've sworn on this pod. It's normally your job. Uh, it's, it's questions day, Kieran, but um, we do have a couple of news items, as ever. Uh, the first one is an interesting one. Following on from Saudi Arabia pulling the plug on Premier League TV matches last week, China has done something similar, haven't they? Is that because they really don't want to watch Burnley and Brighton this afternoon? Um, well, I, 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 if they got any sense, they would take that particular approach. But uh, this is, once again, it, it's to do with geopolitics. Uh, it's linked to the Huawei dispute where the government has pulled the plug on Huawei having involvement with 5G. It's linked to issues in Hong Kong and the deterioration of relationships. So what happened was on, was it, was it Wednesday night that Liverpool were playing Chelsea? Yeah. That match was supposed to be shown on one of the, the very high-profile channels in China, um, and they, they stuck it into a sort of a, a back-alley uh, channel, one that doesn't get watched very often, which seems very strange because... Um, the, the, the Chinese, uh, the Chinese president, uh, Mr. Xi, he's uh, he's very keen on football. He wants China to host the the twenty thirty World Cup. Um, China have just paid five hundred and thirty five million pounds for the Premier League rights, yeah. which is twelve times up on on the previous deal. So to to stick it on the equivalent of uh, you know the the shopping channel or, or something of that nature does seem a little bit strange. I'm, I'm guessing, though, Kieran, if if they've paid that amount of money, the Premier League won't give a flying monkeys on which channel it's shown. But it, uh, there are tensions, of course, between uh, Britain and China at the moment. Will this have implications for those clubs in the Premier League, like Palace, who have Chinese sponsors? And, and you've got a club like Wolves that are owned by uh, Chinese business people. Is this a potential problem for them? Um, if, if the... If the uh... Global, if the disputes with China continues, then because we, you're right, you said we've got Wolves, Palace have got Chinese sponsors, Southampton have got Chinese owners, West Brom, who've just been promoted, mm. they've got Chinese owners, even Manchester City uh, are 13% owned in China. And we are seeing clubs such as Manchester United opening a theme park in China. Now, if, if relations do deteriorate, we could end up in a similar position. To, to what happened between China and the uh, NBA last year, 
where the the Houston Rockets uh, general manager Daryl Money uh, he he retweeted something which uh, appeared to be supporting some of the protesters taking place in Hong Kong, and China then dropped the NBA like a stone. Uh, they reckon that's costing uh, the NBA up to five hundred million dollars a year wow. um, in terms of. They, they've got academies there. Uh, Chinese, China is, Chinese people are very keen on basketballs. The sales of merchandise are very high over there and things of that nature. Um, so, yeah, it could be it could be awkward. It'll be interesting to see what's going to happen today with the final round of fixtures, uh, whether the, the Chinese authorities decide to give the Premier League the benefit of the doubt. But remember, it was only three or four months ago that uh, China fell out with uh, Mesut Ozil. Uh, almost as much as yeah. Mikel Arteta appears to have fallen out with Meza Ozil, um, in the sense that uh, when when Arsenal were playing, because he'd been in support of uh, some of the, the Muslim issues taking place right. in China, that uh, they refused to say his name. So every time he touched the ball, it, there was just total silence. Um, admittedly, he helped them by not touching <laughs> it too often yeah. during the 90 minutes. Yeah, do we know, Kieran, whether the Chinese authorities uh, announced the reason why they, they shunted the Liverpool game onto a lesser channel, or, or do they not feel they need to do that sort of thing for their people? Um, at present, there, there is, there's been no formal announcement. I know that some journalists have uh, have, have asked the question, but neither the, the Premier League nor the Chinese authorities and the Chinese TV channels have commented to date uh, if the if the dispute between the UK government and China escalates, perhaps uh, things might become a little bit more uh, testy, and, and we might see some pronouncements coming out from China uh, as as to the reasons why they're, they're unhappy with issues to do with Premier League broadcasting. Okay, well, very much closer to home, Kieran uh, Wigan is a situation we've been keeping an eye on very closely. They've got a competition on their hands now because it looks like they've got two preferred bidders, and of course, the ongoing points appeal. Uh, yes, yes. So, uh, I mean, I, I was talking to somebody from a, a Wigan podcast last night, uh, and they were saying they've, they've now raised £180,000, which is, which is an amazing achievement. Um, but as far as the administrators are concerned, it, it's a case of one step forward, one step back. Mm. They had a deadline for bids of the, the 22nd of July, which was last Wednesday. Um, they then announced that they had a preferred bidder on the Wednesday, and then 48 hours 48 hours later, um, they put out another announcement to say that that preferred bidder had pulled out because they failed to satisfy the, the first test. And I think the first test is is evidence of proof of funds. Apparently, there are five serious bidders um, with, with regards to uh, taking over the club. So it's good to see that there's interest. Um, I've, I've got to be honest, g- given my own experiences many, many years ago, of working in the insolvency business, you do get a load of chances, a load of tire kickers, yeah. a load of fantasists involved. Whenever you're trying to sell any business, you, you throw the football into the mix and it's probably going to amplify them. So I do have sympathy with the administrators. They have got a tough job. Um, what they're having to do at present is to sell players in order to to pay the bills. Um, and clearly that's only going to, to weaken the position um, if they're also trying to negotiate to sell the club for as high a price as possible. But it's quite encouraging though, Kieran, isn't it? Considering we're still waiting on the appeal for the 12-point deduction and technically they have been relegated, it's quite encouraging that 
five people are still interested in buying the club. And, and if you say two of those are, as you call them, tyre kickers, that's still these three people that are interested in buying a club that could possibly be in League One next season. Yes, yes. Uh, so, so the appeal uh, again in the administrator's announcement, they confirmed the appeal, and apparently it will be held by the thirty-first of July. So, there's there's nothing to stop them from carrying on negotiations with a prospective buyer, and no doubt that the price will be linked to the outcome of the appeal. Uh, it looks as if the appeal costs are going to be somewhere in the region of four to five hundred thousand pounds. Um, so you know, that that is a considerable amount of money. Again, that, that might result in more player sales yeah. to, to, to fund that. Um, but if it does result, uh, finally, in Wigan retaining their championship status, then they will more than recoup that in terms of the price that somebody would be willing to pay, pay for the club. Yeah, and if, by the way, if anybody listening wants to help Wigan uh, raise funds to pay those bills, you may remember we had Caroline on two weeks ago, I think today, um, from the Supporters Association, talking about helping the administrators to to keep the club going through this crisis. Uh, And she persuaded, I think is the right word. Uh, So I'm hosting a quiz night on Thursday uh, for Wigan fans, uh, well, for anybody to join in, basically, via YouTube. Um, We'll send the link out for that. I I should have checked where you can go to get the link now. It'll be the Wigan Supporters Club website or the club website. Uh, You know me, Kieran. I'm big picture, not details, but um, that's already sold a lot of... uh, it's already sold a lot of virtual tickets. We'd love to have you on, and hopefully we can raise a lot of money or a lot more money to help Wigan through this. Um, Birmingham City is a club we haven't mentioned for a while, but Jude Bellingham has just left them for Dortmund, and the club have retired his number 22 shirt. That must have been a hell of a deal because he's, he's a youngster, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a strange one. I, th- I think we need to dig behind this. I mean, by, by all accounts, it's, his uh, his transfer to Dortmund makes him the, the most expensive 17-year-old player in history. Um, but to retire a shirt for somebody who throughout his career has contributed four goals and two assists mm. um, does seem a, a bit extreme. Uh, but then you look to see what's been happening with Birmingham City themselves – Their last win was on the 11th of February. They finished 20th in the championship. Uh, I don't know whether you saw on social media some of the the pictures which came out just before they played their final match, but fans were attacking uh, cars as they went into the ground. I I presume that could have been executives or players. Um, So there's there's clearly quite a a deterioration in the relationship. Mm. Uh, The manager, Pep Clote, he was sacked recently as well. So this is is a club in disarray. Um, It could be that the decision to retire the shirt is is a smokescreen to try to divert people's attention uh, behind more serious matters in relation to the club. Yeah, it's a strange. Yeah, I've always I I understand when a club will retire the shirt of a player who's been there for twenty years, but even then, it's a slightly redundant procedure because all that means is you can't buy a club shirt with number twenty two on it, and the new signing comes in from an Italian uh, club is completely bemused by the idea that he has to wear twenty three and not twenty two, and it's it's a strange gesture. But as you say, one even more strange for a player that. Is obviously clearly very talented, but hadn't been there that long. It's it's a shame to see things deteriorating at Birmingham because they are an exceptionally friendly club, albeit with um, quite a robust fan base, some of them, I have to say. But it's also interesting how many... It's becoming a trend, isn't it, how many teenagers are leaving our game for Germany? 
Yes, and I think the reason for that is that there are clubs such as Dortmund who are seen by players as development clubs. And there's a genuine fear, I think, amongst some of the talented players here in the UK, that if they move to one of the giants of the Premier League, they become at best a squad player um, and they end up playing their matches uh, in, in, the, in the League Cup with uh, you know, cameos coming on when they're 3-0 up. Uh, in in a Premier League game, if if, if you're if you are 17, you want to play football, and that that's the long and the short of it. And what uh, what Dortmund have shown with the likes of Jordan Sancho and so on is is that they if you if you go there, you will be given a greater opportunity to to show your talents than perhaps you would do in the Premier League. Uh, given that there's so much pressure on clubs in the Premier League to to be up one or two places, because as as we were discussing recently, every individual place is worth around about two point seven million pounds. So there, there's no there's no opportunity to blood talent really, because the the price of being two or three positions further further down the, the league table, if you uh, if you've brought in a bunch of youngsters, uh, is is something where you got the finance director or the chairman saying to the manager, actually, mate, don't bother. Can I just say before we continue, Kieran, I have so far been very impressed by the way you started your answers because I have at least twice tried to lure you into saying very much so because I'm aware that there is a drinking game going on today um, where people are going to have a, a bottle of beer every time you say very much so. Oh, okay. And I, I, I did you not see that on Twitter? So I'm, um, I'm, I'm sincerely trying to lure you into saying it as many <laughs> times as possible so that come four o'clock and kick off Premier League time, there's going to be three or four people who won't have any clue what's going on. Um, uh, Neil Elliott has asked our first question today, Kieran, because it is questions day. Uh, Palace and Brighton, Kieran, have got nothing to play for today, thank God. But some people, like Neil, recognise the enormity of our rivalry. Neil is uh, like you, he points out, a season ticket holder at the Seaweed and therefore, I imagine, is the owner of a Volvo estate car and or a golden retriever. Um, but Neil has noticed a much larger police presence at the Amex and Sellhurst when we play and wants to know who pays the police cost. And uh, more importantly, probably for you, where does it appear on their accounts? And do the Sussex Police invoice for the weapons they pretend to have found on Palace fans? I added that last bit. You don't need to answer that. <laughs> right. In, in terms of police costs, uh, there's not a lot of love lost between, uh, I think, senior police officers and football clubs because the club only bears the costs of their of their property footprint. So therefore, that would be the stadium, that would be the, oh, sort okay. of the concourses outside and so on. Um, so I, I went into Hansard uh, to, re- to research this one. Um, and um, the, the total costs of policing football uh, in England and Wales uh, the last season was £48 million, of which the police managed to recoup only five and a half million. Is that so? so oh. Yeah. So everything that takes place in the streets outside uh, is uh, is borne by the local authorities, uh, you know, as it would be for you know concerts, as it as it does for pubs, as it does for political conferences, because we have those in Brighton as well. Um, so so you know ninety percent of the police cost is being borne. Uh, by the external community. Now, you, you could argue that football clubs actually attract huge sums to the country. Um, so, you know, that is that is sort of recouped uh, by other parts of the business and other parts of society. 
But uh, yeah, the, the police themselves aren't over over happy because their budgets have been hit quite significantly, um, and as a consequence of that, they're, they're looking to recoup as much money as possible. With regards to his second question, where is it disclosed in the accounts? It's actually it's embedded within within admin costs, so it's never broken out separately. So what you would have to do um, is to put in for a freedom of information request to your local police authority, and they will be absolutely delighted to have to trawl through uh, their invoices to find out how much they, they have charged for individual clubs. Oh, yeah, we know how delighted the Sussex police are when they get a freedom of information request. Don't <laughs> worry about that. Um, you surprised me, Ken. I, I genuinely thought that the club paid far more of the police cost than cost, which which it, it it might explain why. I mean, in, in our day, when we first started going to see football, there were probably as many coppers as there were fans. But I, I have to say, apart from the, probably the London derbies and the Brighton game, you very the police presence at Sellers Park is very low profile. You very rarely see it's, the stewards are, are the ones bearing the brunt of most of the security work. So that, that obviously explains why. That's very interesting. Uh, Simon Rout has asked um, a good question. Um, we talk about this quite a lot, the NFL and the apparent democracy of the way the NFL and American sport works in, in general. Uh, Simon wants to know, would there be any merit in an NFL-style academy system here in which academies are centralised, perhaps through universities, he suggests, and at the end of the season, clubs allocated picks based on performances? I, I suppose the big difference between us and the American system is that um, we have relegation and they don't. Very much so. <laughs> uh, Thank you. <laughs> um, the the NFL system is a closed system, and, and there are very uh, there are very tight links between uh, US universities and the NFL itself. Itself, uh, you know, I, I've had the uh, I, I've had the, the pleasure of, of teaching in the states, uh, and having seen the the sports facilities that the likes of Stanford and so on have. Uh, yeah, they they can they can have a capacity of thirty to forty thousand for college football. So, um, college football in the states is a huge money earner for universities. Whereas, you know, again, having having taught at universities here in the UK, it, it's fields. Yeah. So it simply it simply wouldn't work um, from a I think from a financial development point of view, uh, and also I think from the club's point of view, there is no desire from uh from from UK clubs because they want control of players from as early a, a, an age as possible. Uh if, if you take a look at player development, you know, clubs are signing kids at the age of six, seven and eight, um and they want to have control over their development rather than to put it in the in the hands of outsiders such as university uh, you know sports academics and so on and, and coaches there. Yeah, and I suppose as well the big clubs will argue that they, they don't want the system democratised. Really, they they they're going to finish in the top six come what may. So they still want the best of the the best of the talent. And the, probably the last thing they want is for you know clubs like Palace and Brighton to be able to pick the best player every year. This is a question I've I've meant to ask you before, Kieran. They they do have a sort of transfer system in American sport, don't they? But not anywhere similar to ours. That's right. It's a it's a swap system rather than a transfer system. So um, you you can get traded, and uh, certainly looking at American franchise sports, the players have relatively little control as to who they play for. You have to really kick up a stink to to uh, reject a transfer 
you, you right. will be traded and, and you are very much a commodity. But it is it is very much a case of one in, one out. Uh, that's how the system works because they have effectively fixed rosters of players. So they are limited as to the number of players that they can they can actually employ at one time. Right. Okay. Well, now, Guy was obviously paying attention for this early part of the pod because the next question is linked to the question I just asked later on. I had to do some jiggling about because he obviously got bored halfway through. Um, Jordan Hancock has asked a question. Now, I'm including this question because it's about something we do mention a lot, but it's something I still don't fully understand, if I'm honest. Uh, And Jordan's question is, how can the EPPP panel, the Elite Players Performance Plan panel, make decisions that so clearly disadvantage lower league clubs and disincentivize them to, to maintain academies only for their best talent to be scooped up by Premier League teams. So could you give us a, a little overview of that situation, Kieran, and then before asking, answering Jordan's question? Sure. The the Elite Player Performance uh, Panel, or p- whatever it's called, th- there, there isn't a panel as such. What, what used to be the case, and, and I know this is something which we've discussed with regards to John Bostock uh, yes. of, of Palace on, on more than one occasion, um, is uh, is a replacement for a transfer guesswork panel. Um, so the way that EPP works is that if you start off your career as an eight-year-old at Exeter, um, if you move to a bigger club, then the fee is fixed according to a tariff. So you will get so much money, and, and it can be as little as £4,500 mm. uh, if you've been one year at an eight year old, as an eight-year-old. And to a certain extent, that, that should be the case because you know, we shouldn't be treating eight-year-old kids as commodities mm. to be bought and sold by football clubs. Um, so there are fixed fees for the number of years of development in relation to where the where the uh, person started, and that's also linked to the category of the academy. So there's category uh, category classes one, two, three, and four. And again, you know, Palace have just achieved category one, yep. which means a significantly larger investment uh, in terms of well-being of, of young men um, as as well as anything else. Um, EPPP also scrapped what was referred to as the 90-minute rule. And the 90-minute rule was that you were not allowed to recruit uh, academy players if they lived beyond uh, a 90-minute travelling distance from the club's training facilities. So Manchester United weren't happy about this because that that, that effectively put a, a limit. And, you know, and if they wanted to, to get players from London or places like that, they weren't historically able to do that. Mm. Well, that, that rule was scrapped. And this took, went through in around about 2015, 2016. Um, and this was agreed between the Premier League and the EFL. And the EFL clubs effectively sold their soul by, uh, at the same time, they they got a guaranteed percentage of the Premier League evenly split uh, TV money. So therefore, you know, that, that was the, the quid pro quo at the time. Um, if that player goes on to play in League Two, League One Championship and so on, again, a new tariff kicks in. And, and this means that the maximum a club can receive, by the looks of things, it's going to be £1.3 million for a player who was, let's say, at the Academy of Exeter, who goes on to play 100 games for Chelsea. Now, that is an absolute bargain. Mm. And, and you can see why 
fans of lower league clubs are now realising that perhaps they did sell their soul or rather the owners sold their soul uh, in order to get this guaranteed money from the, the Premier League TV pot. Mm. That's very interesting. I, I, this is related. Uh, I don't know if you saw it the other night. I'm just going to recommend this to all our listeners. It was on ITV. It's a documentary that kind of went unnoticed. I think it was like 11 o'clock Friday night, but it was about the... The, the season that became the Premier League, basically. It's about the last season of the Football League and the and the shenanigans, as you would say, that took place to start the Premier League. If people want to look out for that on Catch Up TV, it was on ITV. It's really, really interesting documentary, but also fascinating to to recall, as we've talked before, about how low the figures were in those days and also that they were still peddling, as we discussed two weeks ago, this idea that the Premier League wasn't to make money, it was to make English football better. So that's something I could highly recommend. Now, Graham Buchanan has asked um, a very interesting question, potentially very significant question. As he said, that um, apparently private equity group CVC is looking at buying 20% of Serie A for $2.2 billion dollars. Um, and basically, Graham's question is why and how would they make money? And and then wants to know, I mean, could this be a game changer in, in terms of, say, Saudi Arabia, rather than trying to buy Newcastle, they would try and buy part of the Premier League. Could could you buy the Premier League? What would the Premier League be worth if, if that did happen? Uh, could you buy it? Well, very much so. Um, we, we've seen with CVC that they have bought 27% of the Aviva Rugby Premiership. They, they've just signed a deal to buy uh, 14% of the Six Nations Rugby, and they've also got investments in Formula One. So, so their logic is this is this is a huge investment fund uh, full of people that make my spreadsheet activities look very amateur, I can assure you. Um, and what they want to do is that they want to get involved in the commercial decisions to to sweat the rights, to sweat the value of the Premier League. Uh, especially, I think they're looking to the value of streaming the game. You know, that that's where the oh, right. that, that's the, that's the 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 Xanadu, I think, of uh, TV money or broadcast money over the course of the next decade. So CVC think that they know the answer to this. They've realised that there are big audiences for rugby, so. If they're going to be paying, you know, th- these these sums for Serie A, it's two point two million dollars for for a one fifth share, um, and that money then gets distributed. Because if you take a look at the accounts of um, Premiership rugby clubs, and, and I do monitor those as well as football oh, clubs, Kieran, you um, don't, do you? Well, I've Why? got a few rugby wallet. I've got a few rugby friends, and sometimes you live in Sussex. You're a Brighton fan. You know more rugby fans than football fans, but you haven't got enough time in a day, Kieran, to, to start mucking about with the handball foul. <laughs> well, well, you see, I, I played for uh, Trafford Cricket Club, and, and we were affiliated to a rugby club for the best part of thirty years. So I've always done rugby club accounts, and, and because I used to do the accounts for them, I used to get tickets each year to to go to uh, Twickenham to watch the rugby, which which I always found a bizarre experience. Yeah. Um, so I just sort of started to do this as a, as a bit of, you know, I had the occasional 3am slot on a Thursday, which was looking a bit quiet. So I started to build up that database as well. Right. Okay. Um, I, I had the misfortune. Five Live sent me to a varsity game at Twickenham once, <laughs> which ended up 6-3. And the only good bit about it was there was a bit of slappy pushy between some very elderly Oxford and Cambridge fans. And at half-time, somebody had a heart attack and the PA announcer said, is there a doctor in the house? And 40,000 <laughs> 40, people stood up. 
basically. Um, the, it was a god. It was a long day. Um, the, the the Premier League. If, if CVC, for example, were to buy twenty percent of, of the Premier League, we're always talking about the fact that the Premier League is made up of the clubs that are in it at the particular time, and that any decision needs a fourteen club majority. Would CVC then be looking to influence? those decisions made by the clubs? Because obviously if there's that much money involved, you'd think they would be lobbying or nearly said bribing then, that wouldn't be the right word. But if they've got that much vested interest, they're not going to sit back and let, say, Sheffield United and Palace ruin it by voting for something they don't want, are they? Um, I think their voices clearly would be heard. What would happen under these circumstances is if they had a minority investment, because when they tried to buy the Aviva Premiership, initially they were trying to buy 51% and the club said no. They they didn't want CVC to have control of decision making, but uh, their their voice would be heard. I think what would happen in, in terms of CVC's uh, investment would be that they would have some influence over the Premier League decisions, um, which affect the whole of the division. So it could be on the number of packages of matches that were being sold. Mm. It could be for the central uh, central Premier League uh, sponsorship arrangements and, and uh, advertising arrangements. So they could be pushing those to individual countries and things of that nature. I, they wouldn't have much influence over individual clubs for that. They would have to get involved uh, in, in terms of trying to buy all or part of a club. Yeah, I mean, it's probably naive of me, but I'm slightly uneasy about this. I and mean, it's one thing for a company to sponsor a league, but to own a league, it seems, is, is a step too far for me. Now, our next question comes from Adam Bull. Now, Adam Bull lives in Spain. Uh, we could be here all day with that information, frankly. Uh, I, I don't know why, because I've got a childish sense of humor, but it just made me smile a lot, the fact that Adam Bull lives in Spain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but this was a question. This is where Guy obviously gave up because this question was tacked on at the end, and so obviously should have gone after the Italian question. Um, but Adam, now this is interesting, really, because it's something we have sort of skirted around. But in Spain, says Adam, where Adam Ball lives, uh, there doesn't seem to be the same dodgy takeovers and financial scandals as there are here. So his question is, what makes English clubs so vulnerable? Is Adam right, or do they just have a different sort of financial scandal in Spain? Um, There are certainly shenanigans in Spanish football. Um, There's no doubt about that. But the big difference between English football and Spanish football is that the clubs are very much community owned. uh, Both Barcelona and Real Madrid are members clubs. So this means that the, the issues which we've seen in English football, which have always tended to be with somebody who has come into the game who ticks the wrong box, um, that can't happen to the same extent in Spain because ultimately uh, the club is answerable to the members. So the democratisation of football in Spain um, acts as a counterbalance to the, the people whose interests aren't in the best... Best, uh, best for the community, not best for the fans. The downside of that is that you've got club presidents at clubs such as Barcelona and Real Madrid, and they are spending most of their time trying to get re-elected for another you know, one, two, three-year term of, uh, of control of the club on a day-to-day basis. And therefore, they, they can make decisions which are perhaps in, in populist on a short-term basis, but might not necessarily be in the best long-term interests of the club. The best type of owner is a benevolent dictator, somebody who has got big pockets, mm. who can see the benefits 
uh, of long-term investment for a club because then, then they can have a long-term strategy. The number of people who tick that particular box are, are relatively few and far between. Um, so yeah, that's why we've seen, you know, we, we, we've spoken about Wigan this morning, but Wigan have had three owners in 2019-20 and you know, we're hoping they're not going to get relegated, but there's a fair chance. Uh, Charlton have been relegated. What's happened to them? Oh, they're on their third owner of yeah, the season. Yeah. The other club that's been relegated from the championship, Hull City. Well, you just go and you look at hashtag alarm out. Uh, it, it, there's a toxic relationship there between owners and fan base. Um, this is what happens when people aren't uh, focused on on the same ideals, and there's poor communication links between boardroom and and fan base. Well, almost the first thing that Alarm did when he came in was to try and change the club's name, which is an indication that he didn't know much about football. I, I suppose um, Dave Whelan at Wigan would be one of the few remaining examples of that benevolent dictator when he was there, wouldn't he? It's that sort of deep pockets, hometown club, let them get on with it type thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and also, I mean, I I know somebody that used to run um, uh, Wigan's bank account who 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 would go up and see Dave Whelan on a regular basis, and he said he he's not met anybody who had the same degree of knowledge and control over uh, how a club spent its money in agreed contracts as Dave Whelan did at the time. Uh, he he said he was the best uh, best club owner he's ever had to deal with. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, I, I met him a couple of times and his, his public image was one of the sort of kindly, benevolent uncle broke his leg at Wembley, you know. But that's interesting to hear that he, he had that level of control. Um, now, our next question comes from Brian Coughlin. Uh, could be Coughlin. Uh, it seems to be an Irish surname. And if my family's anything to go by, they can't agree on how that name is is, is pronounced. So apologies if I got it wrong, Brian. But this is a, it's a, a, another interesting question, and it's it's more of an accounting question. So you'll be you'll be chuffed to learn that, Kieran. Um, Brian says footballers often have quite technical bonuses embedded in their contracts, as we know, goals scored, appearances, minutes on the pitch, etc. Um, who in the finance department monitors this for purposes of payment? I mean, would there be I nearly said a clerk there, but it's not a carry-on film. I mean, would there be would there be somebody whose job it is to to keep hold of that, or is there an automated alert system for when these bonuses kick in, or is it something that's done at the end of a season? Because he because he's right. I mean, there are some quite complicated bonus things going on. So, does, is there somebody whose job it is to keep an eye on those? Yeah, this ultimately would be the job of the finance director or the club secretary, um, and they would literally be at a match. At, a bit like some people accuse me at, at times uh, uh, with a spreadsheet open, ticking things as they take place. Um, yeah, Kieran, it's their job. <laughs> you, you're, you're the, you've paid a ticket to watch the game, Kieran. That's that's why it's wrong for you to sit there with a spreadsheet and right for them to do it because they're being paid to do it. You're paying. To, oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, but if, if you saw Brighton versus Newcastle, you, uh, you'd probably join me. Uh, well, yes, I, I can't imagine any circumstances in which I'd be sitting in the Brighton game with a spreadsheet and things would have gone very badly wrong in my life if that's, <laughs> if that's unless it's keeping me warmer. And I won't, <laughs> but anyway, carry on. Um, but also, I suspect the player's agent will be equally keeping monitoring uh, the, these figures. You know, it's exactly the same. I, I play. Uh, I play fantasy football along with my mates, of course, and uh, yeah, we get our tables each week, and, and we all go down the table. We say, oh, "Hold on, you, you've missed an assist there. You've missed a clean sheet bonus there." Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the player and agent will be fairly. Uh, you know, the, the players knows where they've done an assist. The player, the, the agent knows when they've got a clean sheet bonus due, and things of this nature. 
So if the pay packet uh, you know, and, the, and the way that the pay packet is likely to be uh, sent to the player, it will detail out the nature of the the agreed flat fee plus any bonuses due on uh, on a monthly bonus that will be you know checked by the, the player and his representatives as well as the club. Okay, I'm going to resist the temptation to suggest that your version of fantasy football would involve a Russian lap dancer because you're a, you're a grandfather now. But um, uh, speaking of fantasy football, and, and well done, guy, because it's almost like he's subconsciously put this question here. Uh, Chris Devine has asked us about uh, something similar to fantasy football. Chris Devine says he discovered an article in the Yorkshire Evening Post revealing that a Leeds fan has a job collecting data on the club for the computer game football manager. And this, this involves him watching games, reserve games and all sorts of stuff. Uh, Chris wants to know whether Sports Interactive, the creators of the game, have ever consulted Kieran or asked you for your spreadsheets for financial insight to develop game scenarios. Now, that sounds like a humorous question, but I, I used to do a podcast with Mark Chapman and Graham Pohl for uh, a highly rated football game. And on several occasions, they were approached by Premier League clubs for their database because some of these computer games have tabs on every single league in the world and the young players coming through in the financial situation. So it, Chris is right. You could probably cash in a little bit on your spreadsheets, couldn't you, if some of these games came and knocking? Um, well, I'm, they've, they've, all got my, uh, they've all got my email address. Um, but... As far as football manager is concerned and sports interactive, um, they, they do have an army of scouts. So yeah. practically every uh, EFL football club, Premier League football club, Scottish football club, but overseas as well, is being monitored on a regular basis. And this data is sent back. And what you see on football manager, you see a front screen which might contain uh, you know 15 or 20 characteristics of the player. But behind that is a far more complex engine with lots and lots of other uh, data data elements, and that is what's being sold to Premier League clubs. Um, Tom Markham, who is uh, people might know the he, he developed the, the valuation method for uh, determining Premier League club values. He's he's an ex student of ours at Liverpool. I know Tom quite well. Um, uh, you know, he he has been involved in in selling those particular rights because the Premier League clubs realise that they need to start to use data because we are we are we do recruit on a global basis. Mm. Um, and also, if, if anybody uh, if anybody wants to see some of Tom's work, uh, he was the one of the producers of the film Kaiser, uh, which is the story of a. Brazilian footballer who had a 20-year career without playing a single match. Uh, and it's one of the funniest, weirdest films. It was very surreal, very, uh, very Brazilian in the sense that this guy claimed to be a professional footballer. All the other footballers club at the clubs knew that he couldn't play to save his life. But he used to organise the parties and the women for the squads, so therefore they always welcomed him with open arms when he joined the clubs. Uh, it's, if you get a chance to watch it on Netflix or whatever, uh, it's 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 your, your jaw will hit the ground. Yeah, I was just chuckling there. That's a very Sussex thing to say. It's very Brazilian, very Brazilian. Um, uh, now, our last question comes from Maximilian Butte, uh, and Maximilian is from Romania. So I apologise in advance for what may be a myriad of mispronunciations here, including your name, Maximilian. Um, Maximilian supports a fourth-tier team in Romania. That's the second lowest. 
They're called Olympia 1921 Satu Mare. Uh, it's financed by the fans. Now, Maximilian says we're not allowed to sell tickets, he says. Instead, we have a raffle uh, which people enter by donating a minimum of five ledge, I believe is the plural of the loo, which is about a pound. Only the coach is a monthly wage and players get paid on a game-by-game basis. Um, Kieran, he wants you to suggest what they can do to increase their revenue or to ensure financial stability and sustainability. Uh, and Maximilian says, thanks in advance. That This could be my favourite question ever. Because <laughs> really, it, it's, it's a great question. Um, just for a bit of context, uh, um, Olympia 1921, uh, Satu Mare, a Phoenix club. Uh, uh, Satu Mare, obviously, the volatile history. But this is a Phoenix club that legally has no connection with the original club. Um, it's in the very top left corner of Romania, or if you prefer, the northwest. Um, so, yeah, they're... It, they're a small team with a small fan base, but they are owned by by fans. Um, and Maximilian is a is a chancellor, and he's he's asked you a question. Fair play to him. And what can you suggest? I mean, we're adding another string to your bow here now, consultant. Um, right. Well, I, mean, I, I did. I have given this one some thought. Um, what they need to do is to um, is to sweat the assets. So, you know, what have they got as assets? They've got a stadium. You know, are are they using that for for non football purposes? So, have they got uh, have they got catering rights? Have they got a uh, have they got a hotel there or things of that nature? Um, could they could they turn themselves into you know, if, if they've got a bit of history into one of those uh, into one of those foreign clubs that hipsters would like? Mm. Yeah, so we, we've seen those in Germany and places like that where. Uh, you know the, the the Guardian readers go on a weekend basis to to drink craft beers and and support this club because it it fits in with their political ideals. Like, so, like St. Pauli, for example. St. Pauli is a perfect example. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, so, and, and if you look at St. Pauli, St. Pauli's uh, merchandise sales for a club of its size are phenomenal by German standards. So. That type of merchandise, making themselves outsiders, perhaps on the back of that, selling some form of streaming rights uh, to the games. I think that would be a way forward. Uh, but you know, clearly, given where they are in in the the Romanian uh, league at present, it's it's very difficult to get um, recurring income uh, domestically. So I think they need to look outside of the country for uh, investment and support. Yeah, they do seem to have quite a natty yellow and blue kit as well, which is uh, I would buy a retro version of that without a doubt. It's um, so we've got there's a club. I mean, Whitehawk, Dulwich Hamlet, are, are clubs that have kind of almost deliberately uh, remarketed themselves as hipster clubs. Um, we got we will be talking to some people from Clapton FC who are sort of deliberately marking themselves as, as a left wing club. So that, that's good advice there for Maximilian, I think, and I think. As you say, there are enough hipsters throughout the world, throughout Europe in particular, throughout, well, Brighton, let's put it. That there's, essentially, there's hundreds of Brighton fans looking for a second club, aren't they? And I'm sure Olympic 1921 Satu Mare would be right up their street. Um, Maximilian, I, I hope that helps. Uh, again, apologies uh, for the pronunciation. And Kieran will be invoicing you for quite a lot of money. In the, in the near future, um, I think what we should do, Kieran, is once this is over, we've already uh, we've already promised that we'd be going to Grimsby for a jolly. So I think we should do a Grimsby, Romania, and find another place trip. Come, what is that? That'd be great. I'm sure the Baroness and and Ali wouldn't mind that at all. Uh, <laughs> so where are you going this weekend, darling? I'll oh, just Kieran and I are just going to Grimsby and in Romania. 
probably scum. That's right. It probably could, scum. It could be like the trip, couldn't it? We could yeah. go to uh, we, we 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 could taste in local uh, restaurants and and give our considered opinion. Uh, except, I suspect you might be drinking more of the wine than me. Yeah, well, that's, you're a teetotal, Kieran, so that's a, that's a given, basically. I mean, you, it's very impolite, I think you'll find, to go to other cultures and not drink their alcohol, essentially. So that makes me a better person, which is a much, which is a good way of ending this book. Uh, Maximilian, seriously, thank you for that question, and we will um, keep an eye on your situation uh, because it, it just proves. Uh, again, I was really chuffed to get the question because I. I'm delighted that we have people listening to us who support Real Madrid and people who support Olympia 1921 Satu Mare. So um, we have listeners all over the world and they're always very welcome. If they have questions, and we will answer your question about any team, any level, any country. It's questions at priceoffootball.com. Um, a big afternoon ahead of us. I honestly don't know, Kieran. It's like I feel terribly disloyal in that I don't particularly fancy watching the Palace game. I do fancy watching everything else unfold because there's some big issues to 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 deal with i mean it's the bottom of the table i'm not i'm not i'm less fussed about europe but the bottom of the table is going to be a really interesting two hours isn't it yes very much so and uh i suspect we might have a price of relegation show on thursday yes let's do that because the, the pod will be continuing as we say throughout the season um uh, one thing to look out for in the Palace game, by the way, is that if we don't score three goals, and we won't, we will be the first team ever in Premier League history to not score two goals in any game and still not be relegated. So that's a, there's a little fact for you. Uh, plus the fact that Alexander Serlot, who we sent on loan to Trasbonsport, has now scored more goals than the entire Palace game scored this season. So that's an indication that we might need to score more goals, Kieran. So which, which, are you going to watch your game or are you going to watch things unfold? Uh, Burnley versus Brighton. <laughs> I, I'm 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 going to watch the action. Uh, I, I I I quite like the adrenaline, and there's going to be no adrenaline at <laughs> Turf Moor today. The adrenaline will be more adrenaline than your granddaughter's birthday party yesterday. <laughs> it could be Sean Dyche's, um last game as Burnley manager as well. So we'll keep an eye on that situation as well. Kieran, have a lovely day, and I'll see you again next week. And take care, everybody. Bye bye. Stay safe, boys and girls. I'm for the